Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all the beautiful moms here today. So glad that you chose to spend your Sunday with us. Um, I'm Kim Jacobo, and I am just honored to be able to share a message with you that God put on my heart. Um, back in March, I shared it with the ladies at the women's retreat. So some of you ladies may hear some things again, but God's word is so good. It's good to hear it again and again. Amen. All right. So I posed the question, who can you trust? The message is titled, Trusting the Hand of God, but who can you trust? Just think about somebody that you're able to trust. There are certain people I can say that I trust them with my life. Have you ever said that of someone or heard that saying? I just trust that person with my life. I trust my grandma, and she's here today somewhere. I don't see her. I better not look at the lights or I'll be blind, but there she is. <laughs> Love you, grandma. I trust my grandma. I know that no matter what the situation is, if I go to her and ask her opinion on something, she's going to respond in love, having my best interest in mind. My trust in her counsel is something that's developed over time, and I base my trust on her character and our history together. So if I meet a stranger at the store, we might strike up a conversation, have some small talk, but it would be difficult for me to trust that person right away because there's nothing to base that trust on, no history, no relationship. And most of us have come to find that people will let us down, amen? At one point or another, trust will be broken, and even a person with the best of intentions will fall short of our expectations. But if we're putting our trust in people, we're putting it in the wrong place. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In the original text, um, that word acknowledge in the Hebrew, it's the Hebrew word yada, yada. And it means to know, to learn to know, to perceive and see, to find out and discern the way you would know someone in an intimate, close relationship. So looking at the topic of trust and how we relate to God, how can we trust a God we don't know? How can we trust a God we don't know? And I would say that it's likely many of you here are saved and would say, I know the Lord. And we're all at different places in our walk as Christ followers, amen? But there may be someone that's searching. You don't know the Lord and you're searching for truth today. There's a longing in each of us to come to know the Lord in a deeper way. And his word tells us about who he is, his character, his attributes. And as we grow in our relationship with him, we'll have something to base our trust on. God has proven himself trustworthy so many times, and we're so blessed with the treasure of his word that we can go to to read about what he's done, what he's said, and how he's come through over and over again. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more we read his word, the more faith we'll have, and hopefully we'll come to a place that we're able to say, God, I trust you with my life. So we're just going to touch on a few attributes of God this morning. The first one is God's word tells us that he's the creator. Isaiah 40, verse 12, says that he measures the heavens with the span of his hand. And Psalm 147, 4 says he created the stars and he calls each one by name. God is love, he is faithful and true, eternal, never changing, all-knowing, ever-present. He is holy and powerful. And something that I love about the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, their names carry more meaning than what we see at the surface. And the name of God, Yahweh, or sometimes pronounced Jehovah, means the self-existent one. The self-existent one. And we remember the story of God presenting himself to Moses in the burning bush. It's in the book of Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. And we'll have some of these scriptures up on the screen, so if you like to take notes, feel free to jot these down to come back to later. But here God has commissioned Moses to go before Pharaoh to demand the release of his people out of slavery. 
And Moses was worried about whether or not the Israelites would listen to him. And he says to God in verse 13, what if when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God responded with his name, the self-existent one. Our English version reads, I am. I am that I am. He just is, amen. No one created him, he's the self-existent one. And this encounter was the beginning of Moses' personal relationship with God. And in reading this story, I noticed that when God gave Moses his assignment, he was kind of like we are sometimes, or how I am anyway, with all kinds of excuses. He had all kinds of reasons why he couldn't do it. He stuttered, and so he said, I can't speak well. These people know what I've done because he had killed an Egyptian when he fled Egypt. And God didn't affirm Moses and say, oh, you'll be fine, you're a really great speaker. No, God said, I am. It's not because you're competent, I am. All Moses had to be was willing and obedient, and the hand of God would be upon him to take care of the rest. God would prove himself to Moses by ultimately bringing him and the children of Israel out of Egypt. He would part the Red Sea and deliver them from their enemies. He would feed them in the wilderness with manna from heaven and even bring water out of a rock for them to drink. Moses would discover that God was trustworthy because time after time, God would make a way where there was no way. We can trust God because God is true he doesn't lie. Numbers 23, 19 says that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? In Psalm 89, 34, it says, I will not break the covenant, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. If God said it, He's going to make it good. Amen? He will not go back on the thing that has gone out of his lips. God stands behind his word, and he will not take back even one promise that he's made. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.12, I will hasten my word to perform it. And that word hasten means to watch over or keep watch, to ensure something happens. God's word will come to pass. Amen? And we can trust God because he is all-powerful. One of the stories that we're going to look at is in Exodus chapter 7 and 8. And here we read God was working miracles through Moses and his brother Aaron. And because he couldn't speak, he stuttered. God said, okay, I'll send your brother with you. So he sent Aaron to speak on behalf of Moses. So no excuses. It was Moses and Aaron that God's working through here. And it says that God instructed Aaron to throw down his staff, the rod that he carried, and it became a snake. And it goes on to say that Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. So both of them threw down their staff, and they became snakes, and Aaron's snake swallowed up the others before turning back into a staff. So Pharaoh had basically these people practicing witchcraft that were able to duplicate all of the things that Moses and Aaron were doing with these miracles. And it says Pharaoh's heart became hardened and he wouldn't free God's people. So God sent plague after plague and Pharaoh's magicians duplicate each one. Moses and Aaron strike the water and it became blood. So they do the same thing. Moses and Aaron bring forth the plague of frogs. The magicians do the same. So there were frogs everywhere. But when it came to the plague of lice, in Exodus 8, verse 16, we read this. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout all the land of Egypt, the dust will become lice. So Aaron struck the dust of the ground, and all the dust across the land became lice, on men and on beasts. Everyone was covered in lice. And the magicians tried to produce lice by their secret arts, but they could not. And I just try to picture this in my mind as I read these stories. I can just 
picture Pharaoh getting irritated at them, right? Like, come on, bring on more lice. We need more lice. Because up until that point, they had been able to replicate everything that Moses and Aaron did. But this stumped them. This, they couldn't do it. And it says that the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This isn't Moses. This isn't Aaron. This is the finger of God. And the other place I found this phrase, the finger of God, is in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 through 20. And in this passage, Jesus is casting a demon out of a mute man. And it says, when it was gone, the man was able to speak. And the people began accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, who they recognized to be the prince of demons. And it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. And just to paraphrase, he said, Satan, if Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? Satan can't cast out Satan. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Even Jesus acknowledged that the miracles he performed were done by the power of the finger of God working through him. Jesus, of all people, could have taken credit, but he told his disciples many times, I do nothing of my own accord. I do only what I see my Father doing. And Jesus is our perfect example of what it looks like to trust God. Do we trust God, our Father, like Jesus did? Do we trust him? There's so much we can learn from Jesus' example, and we're truly blessed compared to the disciples because we have hindsight, amen? As far as the finished work of the cross, they didn't have that. Of course, they walked and talked with Jesus, but about half the time they had no clue what he was talking about. Everything was just over their head. They had no idea, but they heard him teach God's word as one that had authority. They saw him heal and command demons to leave people and even raise the dead. And Jesus commissioned them to do the same. He sent out the 12 and later the 70 in Matthew chapter 10, verse seven through eight. Jesus said, go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And try to keep in mind that Jesus had not even gone to the cross yet. And the, the disciples didn't realize at that time that he would even end up there. They just trusted him and did what he said. Jesus said, go, and they went. It didn't make sense. They had to be nervous, but they trusted Jesus because of what they saw him do. And we know that they must have been shocked the first time that God moved through them because it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, that the 70 return with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. They couldn't believe that it worked when they commanded demons to leave in Jesus' name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. And then he tells the disciples, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And as we read on in verse 21, Jesus gives thanks to God and says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes, little children. Imagine if this had been revealed to the Pharisees, how to cast out demons in Jesus' name they would have taken the credit, right? They wouldn't have glorified God. And later in Matthew 18, one through four, the disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child in the middle of them and said, truly I tell you that unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples had to learn to trust Jesus like little children would, babes, so that they wouldn't be like us grown people and question every little thing before stepping out to do what he said. 
Little children don't overthink things. They don't get stuck in that trap of being overly analytical to the point that they're ineffective. They just trust and step out, amen? As adults, we can trust in ourselves, in our own experience and knowledge of what we've learned through education and what we've seen, and we definitely wanna use wisdom, but sometimes we don't step out due to the fear that God won't show up, and we fear looking foolish. We don't wanna look crazy, but who cares if it means someone receives the Lord and, and they get their eternal salvation, amen? Or someone gets healed or delivered and set free. And I admit, I struggle with that. I wanna to try to wrap my mind around things and understand it all, but the Lord's working on me and he says, you will not always understand everything on this side of eternity, but if you trust me, I will do the work because it's not you. It's not me, it's him. It's not us, it's the finger of God that does the work. And we don't have to understand. We'll never understand everything, but we do have to trust God and take him at his word if we're ever going to step out in faith to do what he's called us to do. And what would that look like in 2023 if we were to humble ourselves and become like children like the disciples did, trusting the hand of God to show up when we step out to pray for someone who's sick? What if we trust God like little children and take him at his word because we either believe this or we don't? It's either true or it's not. We believe it or we don't. And if we don't, then we're wasting our time. But it's true, and so we need to act like it's true. Faith without works is dead, amen? There needs to be faith that, that follows, works that follow, action that follows the words that we believe. There's so much more that God wants to do through us than for us to just claim a seat in a church building somewhere and, and come on Sunday but not have any action behind that. He's called us to be the church, to come and get full and then go and be his hands and feet in the earth, amen? And we'll never feel more fulfilled than when we're reaching out to others, sharing God's love with them. And if not now, when? If not us, who will go, church? Who will go? And there's an image that I found that, for me, it represents what it looks like, us humbling ourselves like babes, just trusting the hand of God. Humility is so important to God. I don't think that, that I can stress that enough, that I've learned that. It just, he can use us when we're humble, amen? And I feel like that's what it, it looks like when we just trust the hand of God, the finger of God in our lives. We have to become like little children as far as humility goes and trust God that he will show up. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, truly I tell you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I go to my Father. He told us that we can do it. He gave us authority to trample over the enemy, but before we'll ever do that, we have to trust him. We have to trust that he'll show up. And God knows us better than we know ourselves, amen? He created us. And even though in our flesh we're limited, when we trust God and have faith in his ability, he will do mighty things through our lives. James 5.17 says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he's talking about Elijah the Tishbite. In the Old Testament, he was the prophet of God that uh, just God worked extraordinarily through Elijah during the time of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. I don't know if any of you remember those two, but they wreaked some havoc. So it was a, a rough time for Israel. And... Uh, Elijah was the man of God that prayed and brought a drought um, as God's judgment on the land at that time. So James tells us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Now, why would this be in the Bible? I think it's because God wants to make sure that we understand that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He wasn't some kind of biblical superhero or superior human being. 
He was a man with the same physical, mental, and spiritual limitations, yet he prayed intensely that it not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. I would say prayer is pretty important. And in the book of 1 Kings 17, we read that during those three and a half years, Elijah trusted God to sustain him. And God sent ravens to feed Elijah. They brought him bread and meat every day and every night. And I just, I try to picture things. So can you just imagine what that would look like? Like it's almost dinner time, you're feeling hungry and you peer into the distance and here they come again, the birds just bringing your dinner. Animals ran the first DoorDash service at the command of God. But again, there's nothing too hard for him, amen? But what if Elijah hadn't prayed? It would have rained. God uses his people to bring about his will in the earth. So we can't just sit on our hands and do nothing. It's him, it's the finger of God, but he wants to work through us, amen? And I'm sure people thought he was crazy, but he didn't care. God used him in extraordinary ways, and there were several times that uh, we read that Elijah took his mantle off and he struck the Jordan River so that he and his servant could pass through, just split the water like Moses did with the Red Sea. And the Jordan wasn't some measly, trickling stream. It's a, a big river, so just imagine seeing that happen. Elijah called fire down from heaven, and Jesus' disciples remember that story because they asked him in the Gospels, should we call fire down from heaven, Lord? So it was a pretty big deal. People remembered the things that God did through Elijah. And I think that could tempt a person to get a little prideful if they weren't careful. Just imagine if that was you, and you called fire down from heaven, and God sent it. That would be wild to see that. But God showed up for Elijah in many ways that we might think were unbelievable. But he saw it. Elijah saw it with his own eyes. And we read further into Elijah's story, and we find out that at one point, Elijah was depressed. The Bible tells us that he despaired of life. He didn't even want to live anymore. He despaired of life. Even after all the ways that we talked about that God used Elijah, he felt depressed. Has anyone ever felt hopeless or depressed? I know I have. I could raise both hands. Even as Christ followers, we do face seasons of difficulty. Amen? But the thing about faith is that faith is not a feeling. I'm going to get a little bit silly here for just a moment, but something that helps me remember this is a little jingle that I made up in my head that I may have stolen from Journey. <laughs> and it's that song, Don't Stop Believing. And Pastor James actually used it in his sermon a couple months ago, so I know you all know the words because I heard you singing it, but it goes, don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling, <laughs> but that's where I would change it, the second line, I, in my head, my, my rendition of it, I would change that to faith is not a feeling. We want to believe, but we have to remember faith is not a feeling, so don't stop believing, Faith is not a feeling. <laughs> I'm a nerd, I'm sorry. But Elijah felt depressed, but despite how he felt, God worked through him. And God wants to use someone that's here today that is feeling hopeless or depressed, despairing of life. It's not about how we feel. Faith is not a feeling. The writer of Hebrews tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And James said something else that I love in James 1.6. He says that when you ask God for something, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind, and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. When we ask but are not convinced that God is able to do something, we're being double-minded. And Jesus taught us to speak to the mountain in Mark 11, 
Verse 22, he said, Verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he will have whatsoever he says. We have to speak to the mountain without doubt. There's a quote that I love by Smith Wigglesworth. He was a great man of God. He said, There is nothing small about our God. And when we understand God, we will find out that there ought not be anything small about us. We must have an enlargement of our concept of God. Then we will know that we have come to a place where all things are possible, for our God is an omnipotent God for impossible positions. Omnipotent means having unlimited power, able to do anything. And we have to believe he is able and not doubt when we ask. We have to speak to the mountain and trust that God is able to move it. Amen? Whatever that mountain is in our lives, whether it's a barren womb or a diagnosis of cancer, it's not too big for God. God is our healer. He said to his people in Exodus 15, 26, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals you. In Proverbs 4.20, God said, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Life to who? To those that find them. His words are so important. There's healing in his words, his spoken word. Jesus sent forth the word with the centurion soldier. He didn't even have to go to his house. The soldier said, I am a man under, under authority, and I recognize you're a man that has authority. I know that if you just speak the word, it will be done. And that's all it took. He said, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Just speak the word. And it happened. So his word is life to those that find them. In Psalm 107.20, it says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And we know who the word made flesh was, Jesus, amen? And Matthew 4.24 says of Jesus that news spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. And Matthew 12, 15 says that great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Just imagine crowds just, and it wasn't like today with cell phones, somebody sent a text message, like word had spread about Jesus, and there were multitudes, thousands of people following him. And he healed them all, not some, all who came to Jesus. God sent his word and healed them all. And Peter reminds us that God is not a respecter of persons, meaning that he doesn't love or regard one person more highly than another. What he did for one, he'll do for you. What he did through Moses and Elijah, he wants to do through you. T.L. Osborne was a great man of, of faith, and he wrote a book that I love called Healing the Sick. Um, so if you haven't received your healing yet, I just I recommend that book. It's so good, so full of scripture. And T.L. said this, he said, how can we call ourselves a church and not believe in healing and in miracles? I cannot read four pages anywhere in the Bible without encountering miracles, and the God of the Bible is the same today. Just like that song that we sang, may we not just sing it, amen? May we live like we believe that he's the same God that he was then, the same God that's able to do miracles in our lives as well. And we've got to change the way that we think and build our faith by renewing our minds to what God's word says. And as we read his word more and more, our faith will grow and we'll begin to trust him for what we need. All of the stories that we read about God coming through for people are there to encourage us to teach us about God's character, what he's capable of. And I have to be transparent with you, I didn't always trust God because I didn't have a relationship of my own with him. 
I remember when I used to try to ride my grandma's coattails because she had a relationship with God. So anytime I was scared or upset, I would call her and say, pray with me, Grandma, pray with me. I had accepted the Lord at a young age, but in my teen and young adult life, I was searching for something else. Approval of people, higher knowledge, and to be honest, I was very vain. I didn't see it that way at the time, but I was obsessed with trying to be perfect. I ran half marathons back then, and I would work out all the time, and I think it's great to be health conscious, amen, to take care of our, our bodies, but what I was doing was overboard. It was bondage. And now that I look back, it was almost like I had made an idol of myself, always striving to be better but never feeling good enough. And deep down, I knew that the things I was getting involved in weren't right. I got very into yoga. I would go to yoga classes, and which if you research it, Yoga is rooted in Hinduism and spiritual practices, and the word yoga actually means to be yoked with or connected to. And the goal is to be connected to the Hindu god Brahma, who they believe uh, to be the creator and the source of universal consciousness, but that's a bunny trail we won't go down. But I got into yoga initially and then meditation and eventually hypnosis. And the hypnosis that I got involved in was labeled hypnosis for weight loss. And even though I knew it wasn't something that I should do, I convinced myself that this is for my health, and so I did it anyway. And the crazy thing was that it worked. There was power there. I ate very little, and most of the time I wouldn't even feel hungry. But the trade-off was I was opening doors to the enemy. Even as a Christian, we can do that, right? We're saved, he can't take our salvation, but we can go down paths that we shouldn't go, and we open doors to the enemy. And I remember one night, I woke up in the middle of the night, I'll never forget, I was just completely terrified. I couldn't move, and there was this dark presence that had come into my room. And I could actually see the outline of it as my eyes adjusted, and I lived at home with my dad at the time, and so my first thought was to, call my dad. So I was trying to cry out to my dad across the hallway, and I couldn't speak. No words would even come out. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. I was just laying there like, dad, dad, and nothing. Nothing would come out. And I remember feeling so desperate in that moment, so separated from everyone, isolated even from God. And because I couldn't speak, I did the only thing that I could think to do. And in my mind, I cried out to God, and I just and my thoughts said, Jesus, help me. And I tell you, it was like a ton of bricks just lifted off my chest, and I was able to get up instantly. Whatever it was that pinned me down had to go when Jesus came in the room. And that was the most afraid that I'd ever felt, and feeling that distance between me and God was enough to make me repent from all that I had dabbled in in the occult. And God showed me that any time we look to any other source but him for answers, it's idolatry, and God hates it. There is nothing and no one else that we can put our trust in. We're to have no other gods before him. So things like horoscopes, fortune-telling, tarot cards, hypnosis, healing crystals, it's all witchcraft, and it all opens us up to the enemy. And it's crazy because it seems like now more than ever, it's made to appear very innocent, and witchcraft, is, or being spiritual, it's like it's become trendy. A friend of mine was telling me about her granddaughters that know kids their age that are on TikTok, showing other kids how to cast spells and use crystals for healing and empowerment. And it breaks my heart because I think of how lost I was. I was searching and, and how empty I felt, and I never want anyone else to have to feel that way. A crystal, is a rock, a pretty rock, but just a rock. And it reminds me of what Jesus said about the rocks when he rode into Jerusalem on the donkey on Palm Sunday. This is in Luke, I don't think we have a slide for this, but this is in Luke chapter 19, verse 37. It says that the people in the city began worshiping Jesus as he rode in. They were singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees, the religious people, got upset. They wanted Jesus to rebuke the people. 
and make them shut up. And Jesus answered and said, if they keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. Because you see, there will come a day when all creation, even the rocks, will worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord and no one else but him is deserving of our worship and our trust. And it's time that we that know this reach out to this lost generation that's trusting in all the wrong things and tell them, I don't have any magic rocks that can heal you but I know the one who's the healer. I know the one that's the savior. I know the one that's the deliverer because he delivered me out of all the darkness that I was in. I know the one and his name is Jesus. And now after spending time in God's word and getting to know him better, I trust him and I can agree with what Paul said in Romans 8, 38 through 39. He said this, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor powers, nor things present or things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature in all existence shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hallelujah. And when we grab a hold of this and become sure of our position in Christ, we begin to recognize how valuable we are to God. The enemy would have loved to have kept me deceived, thinking that I had some sort of power, yet I was paralyzed in fear. But coming to know God through his word and discovering who he is, I've come to find that his is the only power that I will ever need, working through me. God is with us wherever we go, and he's not a respecter of persons. What he did for one, he will do for us. He wants us to know him, to acknowledge him, to trust him, like the people we read about in his word. And we don't have to wait until we're perfect. We'll never be. The enemy wants us to think that we're not ready, we don't know enough, but the Bible says that the disciples were like babes. And he used them. They humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, and he used them in a mighty way. And I just have a couple of testimonies um, that I want to share before I close, um, just to remind myself even of the things that God has done, because I think in the busyness of life, we're so quick to forget, amen? Like he'll do something and then we just keep going in the rat race of, of life. But uh, I have a good friend that uh, she wanted a baby and her and her husband were trying and uh, we were talking one day and they had gone to the doctor and um, it looked like they might not be able to have children. And I remember when she told me this, we were visiting another friend, and I felt the Lord nudge me. And he said, reminder of Sarah. And there's times that you just know that it's not your thought, because I was like, who's Sarah? And I realized he meant Sarah Abraham's wife that was barren for almost a century before God gave her the child that he promised. And I thought, I can't say that, God. I have children. What if I offend her? But I knew I had to say it. So I started out, I don't want to offend you, but remember what God did for Sarah. The Bible says that God opened Sarah's womb and she conceived. So that tells me it was closed before, but God opened it for Sarah. And God is not a respecter of persons. What he did for Sarah, he'll do for you. But we have to ask the way Jesus said to believing and not doubting that God is able to do what we're asking. Amen. We wait expectantly on the promise of God in his timing, but we have an expectation. That's the kind of hope, biblical hope that we have. And the good news is she started praying differently, just asking God, just casting out that doubt and just believing that he was able. And today she has a beautiful little boy that God has blessed her and her husband with. He's just a blessing. But what will we trust God for in our own lives? What will we trust him for? And just one last example I'll share um, was about a time one of my friends and I uh, had got together at her house, and she's here today, actually. Thank you for coming, friend. <laughs> she loves the Lord. She's encouraged me so much in, in getting into the word and, and my faith, so you're just such a blessing. But we were at her house, we had dinner, and then we got into God's word together and did a little Bible study, and. It was a couple years ago when God had just 
shown me the passages about the finger of God. So I was excited about it, and my friend explained that she wasn't sure what was going on, but she just felt like something was hindering her, like a heaviness. Um, and she couldn't discern what it was, but she wanted to pray together. So we prayed, and I don't really remember exactly what was said, but at the end of the prayer, I remember saying, anything that would try to hide and stay to hinder my friend, I command you by the finger of God to go in Jesus' name. And I didn't feel anything, but again, faith is not a feeling, right? But she explained that she felt a pressure that came up her spine, and it just built up to a really intense pain before it felt like something popped and just released out of the top of her head. And I didn't feel anything, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. We don't have to feel it. It's just faith in what he will do. And it's not a formula. It's not some formula that we can say certain words. It's not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of God working through us. Amen? And we can only trust God as far as we know him. And we get to know him through his word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So I'm just going to close in prayer, and then if there's anybody that has a need today, and you're just wanting someone to stand with you in agreement, um, we will have prayer counselors up front, so feel free to come up, and, and we would love to pray with you. Uh, but I'll go ahead and close so that the worship team can go into their song. Can I say, can I say one thing? Sure. Um, so we will have prayer, but we don't have... It'll, Brian's here. Good. We'll have prayer counselors. Okay. Um, I said the first service, I need to say it again. Uh, the whole theme of 2023 for Living Word Chapel, the whole theme is centered on truth, the truth that we find in God's Word. Amen. And the reason that this message is so important because it's, it's revealing that there's a lot of deceit going on, especially in our modern times. It's always been around, but in, in modern times, there's a lot of things that sound right, but they're not right with the occult, with, uh, with practices that enter into people's lives and even into the church that will, that will make you seem like, or make you think that there's w uh, this way that will bring peace or bring knowledge or bring a shape that you're looking for, but it will actually lead you away from the things of God. And so the Holy Spirit has really impressed on my heart. And, and Kim, he's using you in such a big way to, to reveal to people that Jesus is all you need. Amen. Jesus is enough for what you need. That's what the book of Colossians is all about. And Kim, I would love for you to, um, to pray with maybe that one person in here that uh, maybe you've dabbled and you've opened up doors and you're here for a reason you're here because God wants to close that door and for you to have true peace that peace that comes through Jesus Christ for you to have real purpose and that purpose comes through through God and uh, and so I, I, I that's my prayer and there's young people and and here, here's how you know. Here's, here's a good way of knowing when, uh, when you're maybe being led astray. You can't be present. It's hard for you to be present, to be in, a, in the moment, because there's a, there's a big war going on in your head. God doesn't want that for you. He wants for you to be able to be present and be able to listen with uh, attentive mind and an attentive heart, and he wants to speak to you through his word. Do you notice how much word there was coming from this vessel of God? There's a lot of, there's a lot of word. This second service, you need to discern that. That the reason that, that Kim Jacobo is speaking up here is because the Lord has prepared her for this time. For you to hear this message. And you can leave here today the way that you came in with no peace or with searching for love in the wrong places or you can leave here today with finding the love of God Amen. with finding the peace of God 
was finding what only Jesus Christ can provide. What a wonderful time for you to find it on Mother's Day. Amen. So I, I want for you to lead, you know, anyone in here that, that would want that. And then we're going to have special prayer. And we're up here, and, and, and I believe that the Holy Spirit's going to do some, some real good work in whoever comes up. That's a big step for you to take a step of faith and say, I want prayer, you know. But God is real, and he'll meet you where you need to be met. Amen. Amen. God, we just thank you for who you are, Father. That you have any regard for us at all, Lord. We thank you that you created us in your image, after your own likeness. And you have commissioned us to co-partner with you in the earth. That you've given us authority. And that you are the only power that, that we will ever need. So I just pray for anyone here that has gone searching in other places, Lord, searching for truth, searching for love, for peace. We thank you that you are the only source of true, perfect love that casts out fear, perfect peace that goes beyond our understanding. And I just ask that you touch that one that is searching for truth, God, that you just make your presence known to them like they've never known it before. Just comfort them and Draw them to yourself by your Holy Spirit, Father. We just thank you for who you are and that you are able, that your anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. So any bondage that's come in from open doors, we just come against that today in Jesus' name, that the power of that bondage, the power of those, that involvement in whatever it was, that it just be broken in the mighty name of Jesus and that you set your people free just like you always have, God. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we just ask that you help us to make the time to spend with you, God, to come to know you in a deeper way. Help us to just put all distractions aside and just get into your word to come to know you and come to trust you like we never have before. And we will be careful to give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me shaken, and I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. He's never let me down He's faithful through generations So why would He fail now? He won't Say with you. 
so much for joining us. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Um, if you want pictures in the cafe, there's a, an area set up for that. God bless you guys. <laughs>